Hi, and welcome to The Fit, the fashion, innovation, and technology podcast hosted by eFitter, personalizing the shopping experience for you. My name's Judith. And I'm Elizabeth. And on The Fit, we delve into the complex world of fashion and tech with insights from industry players, old and new, and much, much more. Join us every other Monday for a new episode you do not want to miss. To join the tribe, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitter app, and join the conversation using the hashtag TheFitPod. Today we're here with Koi Griffin. Now Koi is a fashion technology expert, founder of Your Own Creativity, TEDx speaker, data analyst, and the author of a book called Leveraging Tech. So she has got a number of strings to her bow. Thanks for joining us, Koi. Thank you for having me. Cool, let's jump straight to it. Now, um, just for our listeners, obviously you're doing so many things. Just give us an overview of who is Koi. Yeah, so hey everyone, I'm Koi Griffin. I am originally from the Bronx, New York, born and raised. Um, I love New York. (laughs) Um, So essentially I kind of got started within the fashion tech world in college. So I majored in data analytics and during my time in college, I noticed that all of the internships that um, the companies that I was interning for, they were just a bit dull and I wasn't too interested in the topic. So one day I just Googled analytics and fashion And then I like learned about all of the cool things that were happening in the fashion tech world. I had no idea what fashion technology was, but I just saw like 3D printing, trend forecasting apps, software apps, all these cool startups, Um, basically a whole bunch of information innovating the fashion industry. So from there, I kind of interned for a few fashion tech startups to get my um, experience within the fashion world. And then um, I still identified gaps for fashion designers. So I noticed there were huge opportunities within the tech world but fashion designers, one, didn't know, or two, didn't understand. So I created Your Own Creativity as a way to educate fashion designers on fa- about fashion technology. And now we're here. <laughs> cool. So at that point, would you say that you were interested in fashion? Because um, you mentioned it was just pretty much the first topic you saw. So how, why fashion specifically? Great question, yes. Um, So I grew up in New York and fashion is huge here. Um, So actually when I was in high school, we created, um, me and one of my friends had a clothing line called Incredibly Dope. She was the main designer and I was kind of like the business person and I loved it. But it also made me realize I can't design. Like I know (laughs) that's just not like a skill set that I have, but I was absolutely obsessed with the fashion industry. So I knew I always wanted to work in the fashion industry. It was just a matter of how um, I could fit in. And in college, I didn't want to go to a fashion university because I felt like it was just limiting because I didn't want to just be an expert in fashion. I wanted, I knew I wanted to apply what's going on in other industries to fashion one day. So that's why I decided to study. Um, first, I tried entrepreneurship and then I went to data analytics. You have a really strong background, I think, in both the tech and the fashion world. But for our listeners that are probably not quite aware of how vast fashion tech is as a space I I mean they listen to our podcast they know that we are in the space of fit technology and this is you know our area Um, but for our listeners what is fashion technology? Yeah so fashion technology to me can be just anything that's innovative 
the fashion industry. So this can range from 3D printing. And with 3D printing, you can easily create like a CAD file or a mock-up of your image and have a have it printed out. So 3D printing, we I've seen the market have like 3D printed knits, knitwear. So your sweater can be printed in a matter of a couple of hours versus taking days to produce one specialized sweater. I've also seen it within specific sneaker parts. So I know Nike does a lot of 3D printing for certain sneakers. Um, and if you look up their fly knit sneaker, it's it went super viral because of the technology that they were using. Another technology that I see is up on the rise, um, <clears throat> which I love because it's getting more recognition, is 3D fashion software. So instead of having your clothes just in a 2D image or just in like a plain illustrator, you can actually have it in a 3D version. So what does that look like, right? And what does that mean? Um, when designers have a 3D version of their samples, they can actually alter the samples. So for example, if you create a 3D t-shirt and you want to adjust the sleeves or adjust add a slit to the t-shirt, you can actually in real time see the pattern have the pattern changed as you're updating the design. So this is super revolutionary because you can create your design digitally and then have those patterns that are also created sent to the manufacturer. So those are just like examples of fashion technology. So you touched on this very briefly, the new uh, Nike sneaker that is um, has gone viral because basically it's changing the way that people who may have special needs um, interact with fashion tech. So um, for you, what do you think some of the more interesting uses of fashion tech are that go beyond um, ease of use for a designer, for example, being able to see a 3D design that go towards more um, actually helping people engage with fashion um, from an accessibility perspective? Yes, definitely. I feel like one, there is sustainability. So with, when you're using the 3D design, you don't have to go to the manufacturer and hope that they can um, mock up your first sample with your sketches if you're not prevalent in the fashion industry. You can actually create it digitally and have it set and it can be more accurate. So it kind of saves the processing time of like fixing your samples and like making those adjustments. But then um, for accessibility wise, so for people who may not be able to like draw or people who may not be able to um, attend fashion school, for example, I you can learn these 3D technologies online on YouTube for free. Um, you can download this, um, the software that I usually recommend is Clo3D. They have a 30 day free trial and they have a ton of resources, um, not just on their website, but also on Facebook. So those Facebook groups, oh my God, you can use those Facebook groups to ask like, how how do I make a scene? How do I download it? And people are super helpful. And what makes it super special about like leveraging the Facebook groups for like fashion tech or very specific tools is that it's people around the world. So let's say you are in like Africa or India, you can still access these cool fashion spaces, um, especially within fashion technology, because there are a ton of, there are resources and communities that are created to help you like get that that foot in the door. I'm so glad that you brought up Clothe 3D, for example, because we were all raving about um, the Hannover Fashion Show. Um, yeah. <laughs> summer last year, early part of summer last year. Yep. And we, we've had this conversation many a time about how one of the benefits of us being in lockdown and, you know, the fashion houses rethinking the way that they engage with fashion shows and fashion calendars mm -hmm. and so on, is that it's become so much more accessible for the everyday person. So 
maybe we're going to get to a point where you don't need to have gone to fashion school or have made the connects in your internship to make a name for yourself in fashion. So it is a really exciting time for fashion tech. Yes. And one point, one thing I do want to mention, I've been in conversation with a lot of students and they're telling me that some of their professors don't even know how to use Clothe 3D or some of their professors weren't even introducing Clothe 3D in their fashion curriculums. So I see like now, because now we're doing a lot of online learning, I think there's like a rush to like make sure that fashion students learn these softwares, but it's just a shame. These softwares are not new. They've been out for years. And it's like, you think that fashion universities are top chair and they know what's right on the horizon, but they really just forgot about this huge space in fashion technology. So it kind of shows that sometimes conducting your own research and on top of going to university, because I, I still love education, I think it's important, but I think the merger of both, doing your own research and using a university can really help you expedite your career. One thing that um, you touched upon was the difference that fashion tech can make in different parts of the world and how it kind of connects all of us. But how do you think it actually differs? Like what on this side of the world, we see fashion tech as, you know, clothes 3D. We can see virtual fashion shows, which was absolutely insane. And I'm still yeah. in awe till this day um, over right. that. But how, do you, how does it differ, you know, in, in Africa, in Asia? What does it look like? What does fashion tech look like? That is a great question. So in Asia, fashion tech is like super in like 3000. Okay. Um, so just to give you some context, I went to Singapore in about 2014. And if you've ever seen the movie Clueless, there's a mirror where you can try on these clothes, right? I was in, went to Singapore and went to like this tech museum or this tech like um, place. And I, we were actually playing with the mirror and like trying on the outfits and it looked super realistic in 2014. Nobody was talking about that in America, at least that I knew of. And I know I definitely did not see that in any store. Fast forward to now, we, we're starting to see that in New York in certain um, stores. But if you look at the stores, it's mainly like Uniqlo, Asian-based brand. So it's kind of interesting to see how fast, like the Asian market, they adapt to technology. Even if you look at WeChat and the, the things that you can do, like shopping there and like basically leveraging the data to help their consumers um, at, at either funnel like fashion goods or just advertisements or whatever. Um, so I really think the Asian, the Asian community does a great job at leveraging fashion technology. But then when we look on the other side of the world and like Africa and in Africa, for instance, I feel like um, I went to Ghana and my team is actually based in Ghana. And one thing that we are really, really um, trying to do is make sure that we're teaching people about fashion technology there. So there are a lot of there are a few students who specialize in like these 3D fashion softwares. But I think there needs to definitely be more of an impact of teaching and making sure that people in Ghana have access to these softwares, you know? So that's definitely something that I'm working on. Um, and then here in the United States, I feel like it's kind of the merger of the two. It's either like people who know about all of these cool things and then the majority of people who don't. And then like the people who know, they're just not communicating it effectively to the people who don't. So I feel like it's that miscommunication and it's really just spitting out the words in layman's terms. And I think what's really missing from the fashion tech industry is the education portion. Um, even when I was first starting out, nobody understood. My friends didn't understand what the heck I was talking about because it wasn't clear. Even I wasn't speaking clearly to my audience. And I think that's what the tech industry specifically needs to work on. 
I'm so glad you mentioned Ghana. So I'm from Ghana. So oh, I'm interested <laughs> in what you're doing out there. Um, so um, on a personal level, I had a line once that was manufacturing out in Ghana and there was a big issue of um, the technological disconnect. Mm-hmm. So seeing as your whole MO is educating people about what fashion tech is and how to better utilise it, and we'll go into more detail about your own creative shortly, what yeah. is that like working in, in Accra specifically? Yes, yes. So um, my team is basically, I partner with this brand, this company called Bomb Labs, and she helps me with all of the 3D software mock-up. And what I love about working with Bomb Labs is she teaches me a bunch of things that I didn't know because she specializes in that tech world. And then we all, we actually onboard more people from like Nigeria and from other places in Ghana. So we're not just like sticking to like ourselves or trying to just employ people in New York. We're actually making sure that we're looking for people worldwide. So it's kind of embedded in our collaboration. So we started um, this collaboration last year and now we have teams members in Europe, in Nigeria, in Ghana, in New York. And it's really just because like we started the connection. And for us, it's also about like making sure other people who might not have like the resources to have their own clients or find these clients, they they still get those same opportunities to, to showcase their work. One thing that I actually did want to ask you, when you think about how Asia and how advanced Asia is in terms of the fashion tech world, and you look at the supply chain. So you look at the designers that maybe are not quite as aware of the fashion tech possibilities. What do you think will be able to bridge that gap? Aside from education, is it more of an education or the awareness of the tech that's available to them as designers? Or right. do you think it's just more about you know connecting the dots along the way across the supply chain? I think it's both. Um, so one, I think it's connecting the dots of a lot of new designers don't even understand Um, what the supply chain is, especially if they're starting a brand from scratch and have no knowledge of the fashion business industry. And I think that's why resources like the Fashion Scholar, who's also based in the UK, they do a great job at educating, but in clearly and concise ways for um, for that audience. But then once once the audience educate, it's this missing gap of the resources, right? Like Like you just mentioned. So the resources they're out there, but you do have to do a lot of digging. But that's why I do like sites like Cala, C-A-L-A, because they kind of essentially do do all the work for you. So they help you find the supplier, the manufacturer, they help you figure out the sampling process. So it's a cool way for up and coming designers who have a bit of money to like get started, um, to like streamline it without knowing too much. But I always recommend definitely educating first and then doing your research. But unfortunately, like you said, there's not, I have not, I don't want to say there's not, but I have yet to see like a clear list of resources. But I know there are a lot of people working on building that. So like even my team, we're working on building tech resources, mainly for like, I wouldn't say we're going to specialize in the supply chain, but just a overall cohesive different technology resources that the fashion industry can use. And I think because we're having these conversations with a variety of people also around the world who, who are doing these initiatives, it can definitely make it a lot easier to um, streamline the fashion supply chain process for designers. Absolutely. And for our listeners, the Fashion Scholar, which was mentioned, featured in one of our podcast episodes in season one. Um, so check out our episode with Frederica Britsworth. Let's talk about Yoke or your own creativity. Yes. How did that come about? So what inspired you to go out and say, actually, I'm going to set up my own business, my own consultancy? 
Yeah. So I was actually inspired from um, the companies that I work for. So I worked at a few fashion tech startups. And then the last one I worked for, I felt like um, one, I was probably like the only black woman, which is like a, a it's, it's just something that I'm used to, unfortunately, working at these corporations. And I noticed like I just wasn't getting the respect. Um, they were really talking down to me. They would like um, kind of like disrespect like my accent and like just say a lot of things that was really affecting my confidence. And um, at that point, I was at a place where I felt like, oh, my God, like, am I even meant to be working in this fashion tech industry? I probably was at my lowest point. Um, so at that point, I, my mom, literally, thank God for my mom, <laughs> she was just like, you know what, just do it. Just because one person um, doesn't agree with you, that doesn't make you invalid, you know? And what also kind of motivated me to get started is all of my fashion friends will always come, they were still coming to me for advice because they're like, you know, you're the only one that knows this. Like, I don't know anyone else who's talking about it. Like, you should still do it. So um, I kind of like just restarted my Instagram with like, okay, I'm just going to start from the basics, just point out what is fashion technology and then just start reaching out to different people to have these conversations from um, different knowledges or expertise that I may not know. Um, so it started out as that kind of having conversations, spreading resources. Um, and then it kind of blew up like once the pandemic, like right before the pandemic actually. So I went to Ghana in 2019 and I did a fashion tech presentation, kind of like showcasing what fashion technology was by using like this um, projector and a dress. So the images on a dress would change prints and colors based off the music that was playing at the gala. And literally I just saw how many people were interested in this and in, in, in Ghana. And I was like, okay, I know I wasn't going crazy. Like I knew what I was talking about. About, you know? Um, and then from there, I kind of just kept up the momentum. I landed a TED talk from just some of my um, connections at my previous university. And even then, like, okay, there was people like really loving what I was talking about and they were they approving like what I knew my path was. And then um, from there, the pandemic happened. So I knew, okay, this is probably going to slow down for a bit. Um, so what I did instead, I started partnering doing Instagram lives. And then that's kind of where like my page, your own creativity blew up because people are like, oh, you've been doing this fashion technology thing for a while. She knows what she's talking about. And then I started um, onboarding a lot of people who um, were from a variety of um, countries who specialize in specific topics. So I did one on 3D mock-ups on like digital fashion shows, et cetera. And then from there, we provided these resources. And I kind of just loved how people, like I love helping people, especially fashion designers, especially black upcoming fashion designers. And I've, I realized that like, I was probably the only one of the few people giving me, giving them these resources about the technologies to use or telling them like what analytics were or telling them like, this is what you need to do what these larger companies are doing. And I realized like, this is my purpose. And unfortunately, the company that was doing that, they're not even doing good. So that's the funniest part <laughs> about it that was like kind of coming for me. Um, but that low point really changed my life. And yeah, now I'm here. I have like my consultant company, which kind of like was forced upon me because so many people were asking me. Um, and yeah, and now we are, business is great. <laughs> that is so cool. And I, I love the journey because 
I think a lot of us, especially as black women, are in spaces where we do not feel very welcome. And it's admirable that you've taken that you know, step to just kind of carve your own space in the industry. We'll be back to this conversation in a sec, but in the meantime, here's our take on what's happening in the world of fashion and tech. A 2020 report by ThreadUp revealed the second-hand market is set to hit $64 billion in the next five years. Again, thanks to Gen Z. However, it could be argued that as well as Gen Z taking over, so is fast fashion. Despite the unfair working conditions allegations last year, Boohoo saw sales rise by 45% between February and August 2020, with shoppers rising to 17.4 million. Misguided also saw their loungewear sales climb 700%, with people more likely to search for clothing that costs only £5. If Gen Z really killed fast fashion, why is fast fashion still booming? Phew! <laughs> Those numbers. <sighs> yeah. Okay, I think this is I think this is a complex complex issue. Like I think it's quite nuanced. I don't think there is a black and white answer here. I think it is true that Gen Z are definitely changing their shopping habits to be more thrifty. And we see that with the rise of like Depops and all this um, Depop and all the secondhand clothing brands and all the rest of it. But the truth is there is a group of people for whom fast fashion is the only type of fashion that properly caters to them. So an example is in plus size fashion, um, other mainstream brands that are not fast fashion brands basically stop at size 16 and say, hey, we're, we're plus size. Like that, that's not a fair reflection of society. So there are a lot of people who say that they would otherwise shop with other retailers, but they don't really have any other option. Then, you know, to some degree, there is a financial side of things where um, some people may feel like they're costed out of shopping sustainably. Again, a nuanced issue, which I'm sure we'll go into. But ultimately, you know, we've been at home for an entire year, so it's no surprise that loungewear is the go-to category. What is a person's perception of sustainable fashion? That's the question. Mm. Because mm. if, you know, if you're assuming that what you know as fast fashion is more accessible to you as a customer, what do you think high-end fashion, for example, is made of? Like what, what's the diff- What's actually yeah, the difference? That's what I'm trying to understand. I think, because I actually want to quote with this person, what this, I don't know if it's her real name, she said, she was like, the biggest reason why I stop, I shop, sorry, fast fashion is that I'm very low income. Another reason is I'm a fat person. So my regular size is an XL, but I'm also autistic. So I don't wear that size due to sensory issues. I actually wear a four or five XL most of the time and sustainable fashion pretty badly excludes these sizes. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. From, from that perspective, I never even, you know, drew that connection that from a sensory perspective on someone that's autistic they may not want a tight fitting item and want it looser but at the same time we know that sustainable fashion brands are very very tight in terms of the um, reach that they have in terms of sizing so when i saw that i was like wow okay you know it's it's harder than i thought you know to actually be inclusive because now you have someone that not only may be bigger than the standard sizing also cannot wear her actual size due to her sensory issues. It's complex. It's, it's extremely complex. But I, I do like the article. I, I do feel like it raised some very valid points in terms of basically, like you said, like what does sustainable fashion actually mean to you to the extent where the fabric could essentially affect whether you shop 
sustainable or not versus the sizing. Yeah, I guess it's similar for um, people for like modest fashion. So for example, hijabis. So, you know, you're, you're conscious about your whole body being covered. You may, you're not going to want to wear form-fitting clothing necessarily. So it's the same issue there. But um, the one thing that we didn't talk about is that it seemed like the whole world was up in arms about Boohoo's treatment of workers. So regardless of the reasons behind it, there are also go- there's also going to be a group of people who just don't care enough to make a change in their shopping habits. And I guess it's a question of whether, you know, it's enabling us to take part in our social media activism and then go back and shop with our fast, super fast fashion brands because that's what we like. So maybe there's a bit of hypocrisy there as well. But um, there was a really valuable insight, I think, that came from Aja Baba that said, um, what's the quote? I lost the quote. It says, the poor argument is intellectually dishonest. Yeah. Fast fashion is a problem, but perpetuated by the middle class and wealthy and the poor do not collectively have the funds to keep the cycle extremely profitable that so i don't want to paraphrase it because it was important to actually get the entire essence of the quote so more often than not we and by we i mean as a society we'll be like oh my gosh fast fashion is terrible but you know we have to blame the people who are funding fast fashion but the truth is the people who are often fast funding fast fashion can afford to shop more sustainably, but they're just choosing not to because of the ease of fast fashion. So like in that article, they were talking about somebody who's 18 pound <laughs> misguided jumpsuit ruined her 60,000 pound Porsche. And it's like the cognitive dissonance there. I'm just like, yo, if you can afford 60K on a Porsche, can you not get something that's made of better material? But yes, Fast fashion is just built into our culture at this point. You know, it's easy. Social media perpetuates the need of having clothes now. And we're not here to demonize fast fashion as a concept. Like if you go to our Instagram, you'll see that we've been taking part in 10 by 10, where we're re-wearing 10 items of clothing for 10 days. And the vast majority of our items have been from fast fashion brands. So it's not about saying no to fast fashion brands and full stop and banning them necessarily. But it's just about shopping when you need to shop. When you think about shopping in real life, do you imagine the experience by yourself or with your friends? More often than not, the idea is that social has been more of a social activity. As we've shifted from brick and mortar to digital, there are concerns that the social aspect of the experience is dying. If we look at the resale and rental market, however, there is a clear advantage in pushing an increased peer-to-peer experience within its community. Think Poshmark and Posh Parties and by rotation and socially renting. I I really love, I, I'm gonna fangirl for a minute because by rotation recently released this new feature where you can have this profile and it's like you can follow people that you know you style match with and it's is literally a peer-to a peer-to-peer social platform, like it says it is, but like Instagram within it, and you can like swap clothes. It's really, really cool. So when I think about the whole, you know, in real life versus digital experience, I do feel like because the sustainable conversation is like more mainstream now than ever, brands like Barotation, brands like Poshmark can really take advantage of the communities that they're building that have a connected aim or desire to be more sustainable, to rent more, to buy secondhand more. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this whole idea of, you know, only Gen Zs do it. We do know that millennials do it. We know that that 
older generation are into the resale community. So it's not really about accessibility at this point. I think it's just about connecting with your users where they are. And Poshmark have done it great. Rotation have done it great. So many brands are actually doing really well in doing that. Would you say that you shop socially before the pandemic? It's hard to say that because I hardly shopped in real life. But when I did go out shopping, I was never by myself. Hmm. I was, yeah, I wasn't when I think about it. Like it was normally like, oh, let's go out, let's meet up, let's meet here. It's just, you know, window shop. It was never like, I'm going to go by myself and window shop. Like I can do that on my computer. That was always my thinking. Mm. That's really interesting. Cause for me, um, I, this is going to be so ironic, but I hate shopping. I see shopping as a chore. So. <laughs> <laughs> you have to laugh. <laughs> I hate it. I really do. I don't enjoy it at all. I do not like the high street. It's the bane of my life. So if I have to shop physically, I'm not with people more often than not because most people I know enjoy the experience of shopping and the window shop. And I'm, I'm just like, this is such a waste of my time. Why am I here? <laughs> so I tend to shop physically on my own. So it's not much of a social experience anyway. I'm thinking for older people, maybe it was not as social as you think it was anyway. So, I mean, I remember like as a teen, when we would go to, so at the time my local shopping center was Lakeside, and then we upgraded and go to, we'd go to Blue Water or, you know, go to central London or wherever it is. That was a social experience, but we weren't necessarily there to buy things. We were there because we were going to see what was happening in the shops. And I have a feeling that that's not really going to die once we're freed. I think the teens will still be doing that kind of thing because it's a way for teenagers to get out of the house cheaply. They don't necessarily have to spend anything, but they enjoy the experience and they enjoy each other's company. And I don't think that aspect is going to change a whole lot. But I am fascinated by how these businesses are bringing it online. And um, like we spoke with Bianca Waring a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like that's the next step for their app as well, where it's like, okay, let's share outfits, get an opinion with a friend on on your friend's outfit from based on based on what you put on wearing. So yeah. Do you think though that when you say okay, it's not going to die in real life, but do you think it's going to be more of brands, or especially the ones that are maybe not on the high street pushing experiences more 100%. than anything? A hundred percent. Um, I can imagine, so we've got a couple of misguided stores, but I think misguided has kind of lost its edge a little bit in terms of the super fast fashion brand, like PLT is very much where it's at. Um, even the newer ones, like I saw it first, are kind of taking the shine from them. And I feel like what we're going to start seeing is maybe mobile pop-ups where it's just bright pink and very loud and like seizure inducing, but it works for that audience. <laughs> How can you say seizure inducing? I mean, I was trying to show my brother that the fast, the super fast fashion brands are always on offer. And I hadn't seen any of those websites since when we we're doing our research for Black Friday. And I just said to him, I'll oh, just go on any one of them. They're going to be on sale. And he went on one of them and was like, yeah, I feel like this could cause a seizure. And he meant it sincerely. And it could. And finally, a topic we talk about so much, the future of fashion. With social media redefining the driving force behind trends and traditional fashion shows becoming virtual, we wonder what this new normal could mean for fashion tech over the next few years. 
Traditional media and fashion have been an exclusive club we've all dreamt of being a part of. But one thing is now clear, community and authenticity wins. With the rise of a merge between tech, gaming and fashion becoming more and more mainstream, can fashion pivot into entertainment? I think we're already seeing it. I mean, we've spoken about how clothing lines are now basically buying virtual real estate and video games. And the way that Gen Z interacts with technology is just so different to the way that even we did. And we're like at the cusp of millennial and Gen Z, just because we still had to learn how to use technology, even though we we're very, very young, we had to learn how to use it, but they were born with it. So it's almost in their DNA. So I, it feels like we're looking into the future right now. It's so crazy when you see these interactions between the gaming companies and fashion shows and then they're incorporating AR and VR. It's crazy. I agree. I feel like this is definitely the new normal. I really hate that phrase, but it, it really is. I don't think I have seen anything that relates to traditional fashion houses, even the big, big brands or newer brands that does not involve technology. So I know that this is definitely what we're going to get used to. And I, I think there was an article we did a 60 Seconds on a couple of weeks back that talked about experiences through music. So like, you know how they had um, interactive live shows, thinking of ways that they could merge fashion shows and music as well, or something that was talked about. So I definitely feel like we are at the cusp of something completely different in terms of the complete experience that we have known it to be like the fro experience that we've all wanted to have at fashion shows i don't think that is really a thing anymore i think it's more about the experience that you can have in your house and how connected you can be with these brands um, and i also i we talk about this i feel like i talk about this app all the time but tiktok i'm not even on it but i already i understand the impact it has and gen z have really carried that to an extent where you have people like olivia roosting talking about how tiktok is literally the cusp of community, discovery, authenticity. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see where that where that goes. I think this is where we need to really give Rihanna credit. Like, I can't stress this enough. She is a fashion innovator. And I think a large part of it is because of her music background. So being a global superstar, being like one of the biggest pop stars in the world for the last nearly 15 years, she's had her finger on the pulse. So she knows how to start a trend because her whole career has been about reinvention and making sure that she trends even before trending was a thing. So it's meant that in creating Savage Fenty, her shows are gift friendly, they're TikTokable, it's just like built for virality. And then coupled that with the fact that the Savage show, for example, was integrated with Amazon so you could purchase directly from it. She's just so, she's so far ahead of the game. And I'm kind of glad that she folded um, the Fenty designer brand for now, because I think it was a little bit too traditional for her brand as well, which is why it didn't take off. But I'm so excited to see what she does next. Um, even with the world of like, you know, these video game fashion shows like um, Balenciaga, for example, in the article I mentioned that Balenciaga is a bit of a game and it's like, it's a, it's a video game fashion show where they're showing off their new designs through gaming, we know that TikTok basically dictates the charts right now, which dictates fashion, which dictates the way that we socialize. It's just crazy. It's so interesting to see how embedded fashion is in our day-to-day -day life, arguably more than ever.
you touched upon using Instagram lives as a tool to get um, York out there, which I find really interesting because if we now shift the conversation from the more fashion designer side or the supply chain side of um, fashion tech, and we move towards a more consumer facing side as in using social media to engage with audiences, brands using social media to engage with audiences and consumers actually dictating trends in fashion. So my question is, how do you think social media is changing the way users of fashion itself is consumed? I mean, we've seen the rise of TikTok the last year, which I don't think anyone really saw coming. Um, to the, to the extent that Vogue is even on TikTok, like right. all the brands are there. They're trying to capitalize on this whole movement. Um, and it's not only have they dictated new trends, they've also seen a rise in opportunities for brands to engage mm-hmm. with consumers on a more like personal one-on-one basis. So yeah, where do you think that that's going? And how is it changing the way that we consume fashion? Yeah, I think it's, I feel like it's making it more accessible. And like, it's just being a bit more um, inspirational. So for example, one of my favorite shows that um, just came out was Aria. Um, So Aria, they did like this, I I wouldn't call it a fashion show, but it was definitely, I don't know if it's a fashion show or a campaign, but essentially they use IGTV to promote their new collection. But what made it super special to me is that they had a beautiful, curvy black woman and their designs. And their and like their designs, I just would have imagined like seeing that like on IGTV and how beautifully it was executed. Um, especially because I feel like curvier black women, we don't really get that recognition of for high fashion. So I feel like using IGTV to um, showcase like a new look or like a new wave that a lot of high fashion brands weren't doing traditionally was a great way for area to like get out there and reach a different market and the show like my clothes just aren't for like skinny white women it's really for everyone and it's on social media because no one is going to look at Vogue for inspiration if we don't relate to what Vogue images are. So I feel like that was a great way to reach a new demographic using IGTV because I shared it, a bunch of other Black women shared it, and then um, it's easily easily accessible. So now with um, Instagram, you can shop directly in an app. So it's like, okay, I like this video. Let me go on Instagram and just buy it right then and there versus doing it the traditional way of like, hoping I get a Vogue feature to like help me sell my sales, I'm just gonna do it myself. So that's one um, way that I loved using, I love social media. Um, I love how brands are using social media. Another way, um, like you said, TikTok is really cool. I love that there's a lot of brands and a lot of influencers really showcasing their clothes in a different way. And like every day I'm on there, I'm like, well, like how do they think of these things? And um, it's just moving so fast, but I love that it's moving fast because it's like, it gives these smaller brands an opportunity to really be innovative and really like level the playing field of like going viral, you know? And it's just, you don't even need a lot with TikTok. That's what makes it super um, cool. Like Instagram, sometimes it could go viral without with like bad quality, but usually you need like pretty good quality to get shares. Whereas on TikTok, it's like, if the more authentic you are, the better. Um, another thing that I'm seeing with social media is this thing called live selling. So I was just introduced to this last week and I've, I've been obsessed. <laughs> so um, to me, the live, so I've seen the live selling on TikTok. I've also seen it on Amazon. So Amazon's doing like the streaming service where you can shop 
um, live. And I'm like, well, this makes so much sense if you think of HSN or like QVC, who like everyone's moms used to shop with. And I used to love watching it and I and ended up buying some stuff. And it's like, okay, I can't wait to see more people do that on Instagram now. I think Instagram already has the followers. So it's like, it kind of just makes sense. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to see how brands are going to continue to leverage like the live settings, the reels, TikTok, and incorporate it into an entire brand strategy. So to you, Koi, which fashion brand do you think is at the vanguard of fashion tech? Like who is using it most creatively at the moment? I'll say two. Um, I obviously have to say Hanifa because if it wasn't for her show, a lot of people wouldn't have thought of using technology in a luxurious way. Um, so I feel like she brought like the 3D part. Um, she made it high fashion. Um, so I would always have to say her. And one thing I need to, I want to point out before Hanifa actually released that 3D show, if you look at some of her images, she was already using that 3D technology. And I don't think a lot of people realize this. So this was something that was planned for a long time and that she embedded into her, um, into her fashion business before show, using it as a marketing tool. So I think that's what made it super successful. Another thing I wanna point out, a lot of brands are thinking, oh, all I have to do is create a 3D fashion show and I'll go viral, no. You need a story. Hanifa embedded her story. She embedded her brand's culture. It was, I felt like I was there watching it on Instagram. People, people from like other countries were staying up to 1, 1 a.m. waiting for her show to get released because they knew everything within her brand is going to come from a story. It's going to feel realistic and authentic to them. And I think that's the piece that's missing with a lot of these like 3D fashion tech shows that brands are trying to do. It's like, yeah, it's a cool marketing tool, but it's a lot better when it's embedded into your fashion business and the story. The second brand I would have to highlight is Balenciaga. So what makes Balenciaga so cool, I don't think a lot of people realize, is their digital fashion tech um, transformation, right? So in like 2018-2019, they released this like trench coat. Um, Cardi B was, saw, was seen wearing it and it went viral. What made this trench coat special is they used this 3D prints and create to create the core of the trench coat. So it had this super like corset silhouette that you cannot create with like a sewing machine. So one, they incorporate that technology into their trench coat. And then um, two, it went viral because everyone was like, oh crap, I've never seen that before um, with that cool sil silhouette. And then the next year after that, they incorporate, they created these 3D mannequins in their flagship New York City store. So these mannequins actually look just like the models that were featured in their latest collection. So the mannequins were literally outside the window. And if you're walking by the New York City store, you you had to like look two times and say, hold up, is that a person staring at me? But no, it was an actual mannequin wearing the same exact outfit within their fashion show. And I'm not gonna lie, I would like walk past it and I'm like, this is a little creepy. But then it, there were also a lot of people who thought it was cool and there were, if you look, um, and their tag photos, you'll see there are even people taking selfies with those mannequins. So it definitely created a buzz. And then just last year, they created, Balenciaga created a video game, a fashion like video game. And that was, and it's, it kind of came natural already, right? Because they already were incorporating 3D printing years ago. They incorporated the 3D printed mannequins. And now they're just doing like, they're just creating a digital aspect on it with 
which is exactly where they need to go um, during these times. So it just came super natural. But the reason why I like to highlight Balenciaga is they didn't just hop on a wave. They were super intentional with the way they were embedding technology. And they didn't say like, oh, I'm a new fashion tech brand now. They just, they still stay true to their original story, but just adding it as an additional asset on top of their designs. I think one thing is clear, and it's a common factor between both actually, Hanifa and Balenciaga, is that they've been planning it for a while. It's been ingrained in their strategy for a long time. So that is something definitely to note. Um, final question, I think it follows off perfectly. We've seen the rise of virtual models, 3D designs, fashion software, AR. What is next for fashion tech? Yes, I think what is next is going to be a mix of AR and live selling. So what I see is there will be um, companies saying, hey, let's go on Instagram and I want to live sell like these fashion clothes and um, I'll be trying on my glasses and I'll bring someone from the audience and hey, try on this filter with those same glasses so you can see how it fits on your face and you tell me what you think. Um, or try it this way. Maybe this way will look better. So it'll be like this live streaming of you virtually trying on your clothes or I see maybe accessories more so for a start. Um, I think it's just Instagram already has like the technology. One, the customers, we're already used to using Instagram filters all of the time. Um, and then two, we're used to going live. So we know how to do it. And three, brands are already living there. So the brands, customers, we're already on Instagram. We already know that when brands usually typically go live, it's going to be like either marketing or getting in touch or creating um, a new community. So I think it's just, it just makes a lot of sense. And I'm super excited to see how more brands are going to implement AR to sell their goods and to create this virtual try on aspect. Oh, so you heard it here first. The future is live shopping. We're bringing back QVC on Instagram. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Koi. Um, I don't know about you, Judith, but I've learned so, so much just yeah. from this conversation. And I know that our listeners will love it too. 100%. So, so inspired. But for our listeners, Koi, where can they find you and your own creativity? Yes, you can find my personal Instagram page. It's just Koi Griffin, C-O-Y-G-R-I-F-F-I-N underscore. And your own creativity's Instagram page. It's just your own create at your own creativity. Um, you can also find me on LinkedIn at Koi Griffin and on Clubhouse at Koi Griffin. Um, face, Facebook, you can find the your own creativity page. Um, it's just spelled the same exact way as it sounds. And yes, thank you so much for having me. I had a great time talking to you both about fashion technology. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Fit. For more updates, please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at eFitterApp or follow us with the hashtag TheFitPod. Don't forget to like us, rate us, comment, engage however you listen to your podcasts. It's really important for us so that we can get the word out there. See you soon. Bye.